away from one tackle. He's at the 20, the 15, the 10. He's got speed. He's going to the end zone. Touchdown, MSU. Dawson out to Harris for a three ball. He got it. Kennedy looking, center shot. The Spartans are on their way to a win in the Rose Bowl. Completion. Live from Impact Studios, the only sports show from MSU campus. This is The Pack. And your host, Fino. That is right, your host Fino alongside here on The Pact. It's good to be back. My voice is back. Special thanks to Faith Grugalecki for filling in. She won't be with us today. Um, She's at the Greek Speaker over at the Breslin Center. So, Faith, we wish you were here with us. But, per usual, the show does kick on, guys. And we are talking a lot of stuff today. Uh, Michigan State basketball. We're just going to recap their season. We'll have Andrew Hayes, the host of Impact His Own, in studio to talk about that. We'll have the co-host of Impact His Own, Break Froling. He'll be calling in to give us his insight. As per usual, we'll have Harry breaking that down with myself. But more importantly, our other topic is an interesting one. We're talking Detroit Red Wings, and I think their playoffs push is really something interesting with Detroit. I think what Detroit can do is something that really magnetizes myself because, you know, when you look at their season, it's been really up and downs with injuries. They get Pavel Datsuk back. They're sitting pretty at 88 points, a couple games left. Hoping for a couple of Columbus losses so Detroit can really book their ticket. Looking for some help from New Jersey to kind of give some help um, and leave some pressure from them. But as we'll talk Wings first hour, or first half hour, second half hour, we'll talk Michigan State basketball. But here on the pack, we're going to do something special, guys. We're giving away four tickets, um, two sets of two for the Lansing Lugnut. So today's winner will be put on the guest list along with a plus one to Thirsty Thursday at Cooley Law School Stadium. Um, you can see the Lugnuts as they take on Quad City on Thursday, April 10th, courtesy of the Lansing Lugnuts. The game starts at 7.05 p.m. at Cooley Law School Stadium in Lansing, Michigan. More info at MILB.com. The Impact would also like to thank the Lansing Lugnuts for their continued support and remind their listeners they may only win once per week. So sorry, listeners, you can only win once per week, but the number to call in, 517-432-3893 would be the number. So Jonathan Yale's behind the glass when fielding those calls. But sorry, guys, the late introduction, we have our own Harry Jade. And Harry, how are you? Pretty good. Doing well, Fino. Excited for the national championship uh, game tonight. That's right. It's a 9-10 tip-off. We're really excited for that. We got UConn. We got Kentucky. And if we have time at the end of the show, we'll break down to see what our pack panelists think. Who's going to win that game? Just some quick hits. Sitting next to Harry Peruge, we have Austin Goodman. Goody, how are you? How are you doing, Fino? You doing all right? You had a fun at Formal? I yeah! You were telling me you had a blast. It was a good weekend for me. Um, I saw Cirque du Soleil on Thursday, which was really fun. And yes, I, had, I spent the... Uh, a formal on Saturday night at the Marriott, so it feels pretty good to uh, pretty good to spend formal at the Marriott and good to be back. So awesome. I ha- I had a great time. Yeah, honestly. we missed you last week. Yeah, you did right, <laughs> but I'm here. I got my voice. So like I said, it is fabulous to be back. And our man behind the glass is, per usual, it's Lou Divizio. Lou, what's going on? Good to see you. Up, oh, good to see you, Lou. So yeah, so pretty much with Lou, we got him behind the glass. He's going to be breaking down. Um, Detroit Red Wings with us. So, good mean, let's get into that discussion. Sorry, Faith, we don't have you here, but we know you're here in spirit, girl. But listen, let's break down with this Detroit Red Wings. And I think this is pretty interesting for me because with the Red Wings, I think their schedule is pretty cutthroat, as I like mm-hmm. to say. 78 games played, 82 games in a season, obviously. New format this year, Goodman. Four games. Their next game tomorrow is against Buffalo and you know, Wings fans, they didn't look good against Montreal on mm-hmm. Saturday. 5-3. to three. It looked pretty abysmal. Brian Gianta had two goals. How did he stay onside on that second goal was beyond me. The tip of his toe. and th- But that's the game of hockey. It's a game of inches. It's a game of inches, really. So the tip of his toe, really. But more importantly, the Detroit Red Wings, they have Buffalo tomorrow. They're in Buffalo. Then the back-to-back, they go to Pittsburgh. They mm-hmm. play Pittsburgh, which most likely, in my opinion, will be a... A preview of the first-round matchup. We'll explain mm-hmm. that playoff format to our listeners that don't really know what the playoff format is or is just confused. We'll just clear it up. We're not, you know, downgrading any of our hockey fans here that listen on the pact. 
home game at Carolina. It's their last home game of the season on Friday. And then they finish up on Sunday at 1230 NBC game against uh, against St. Louis. Mm-hmm. So the schedule right there, Lou, is cut in front of them. Detroit's got four games left. You know, I think three out of four games here, one, will clinch Detroit's fate. I think they're safe to say there will be a quote-unquote seventh seed if you're an old-school NHL playoff fan or the first wild card, as these new new school guys are saying. Yeah, you know, I think Detroit, they should be able to steal, I'd say, three games. You know, Carolina and Buffalo, at this point in the season, you should be able to beat both of those teams. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, hopefully they'll steal one from either St. Louis or Pittsburgh. I think that I, I think that's a good point here. What game can they steal? Because if you're breaking down Detroit's schedule, they got those four games. I think the win against Buffalo tomorrow in Buffalo is very is I want to say it's it's extremely doable. They're the worst team in the Eastern Conference, and I expect them to win. But that Carolina game at home, your last home game of the season, I expect you to win that. And if you can split from either St. Louis. Or Pittsburgh, I'd actually prefer Pittsburgh because that would put Detroit in a better situation going into that St. Louis game. You know, when I look at that goodie, I think Detroit needs to go three out of the last four and split or even win both St. Louis or Pittsburgh. One of those games needs to be won by Detroit. Absolutely, and I think with the late loss of Sidney Crosby for the Pittsburgh Penguins, I think the Red Wings obviously have a new jump start to be able to beat the Pittsburgh Penguins coming down the stretch there. They already beat them 5-4 to four recently. You know, obviously the Penguins want to get that win, but we all know how Marc-Andre Fleury was doing at the end of the season last season, and I think he's going to have a repeat performance this year. With the way that the Red Wings are coming up right now, with Pavel Datsuk returning, and the potential first-round returns in Captain Henrik Zetterberg, which is going to be an amazing addition. And then, you know, your second defenseman and Jonathan Erickson, those are two big players that are going to come into effect, and it's going to really help the Red Wings get a push. But not only that, you got Gustav Nyquist stepping up and playing the best hockey that, you know, any Detroit Red Wing fan or, or, you know, anybody in the organization would have seen coming. And then you get consistency from Thomas Tatar, Riley Sheehan, Thomas Yurko, and then the veterans that are playing well around them. And of course, Jimmy Howard down the stretch is a great goaltender, and he really knows what to do come playoff time. Same along with Daniel Alfredson and Johan Franzen. Tons of good players that are going to be playing against this Pittsburgh team. Totally agree. 517-432-3893 is our number. Feel free to call in to debate either with Austin, Lou, and myself to talk Detroit Red Wings. Or even call in to get a chance to win free Lug Nuts tickets for Thirsty Thirsty Thursday tickets against Quad City, which will be for this Thursday, April 10th. So feel free to call in. John Yale's behind the glass. He'll be fielding calls for us. So, yeah, feel free to give us a ring. But Goodman brought up a good point, Lou. And he said, okay, Detroit's getting good play, and he doesn't know about where Pittsburgh is. And I think this is a very good point. I think with Pittsburgh, they're very depleted going forward. So I think if you look at it, which game is more attainable, I think Pittsburgh is a more attainable win for Detroit than St. Louis, given the injuries to Pittsburgh. Now, we all know Detroit's very injured, but they're being very helpful. But I think the Datsuk addition is one that will make them and push them into that NHL postseason. Yeah, you know, uh, one of the problems most of this year for Detroit was kind of that transition game out of their zone and getting into the offensive zone. And that's kind of, you know, we were trying to pick out one of the last shows, you know, which part of Detroit's game really was lacking. And I think with a lack, or I guess you could call it a lack of puck moving D, you know, veteran guys after Lidstrom, you know, losing some guys to injury and losing those guys down the middle, I think it really is that two-way force like Zetterberg and Datsuk who have been injured most of the year, and having him come back is going to be great. But here's my thing with, with Zetterberg. There's so much uncertainty with Henrik Zetterberg. Is this guy coming back? Are you getting your skipper back to skate? He's a big addition to the offense. But I think it's, it's, I think it's a fallacy if you think Henrik Zetterberg is going to come back 100%. I think there's no way, shape, or form Detroit should be relying, or the Detroit fan base should be relying on Henrik Zetterberg to step up and make a key addition for this team in the playoffs. Honestly, I don't think that the Red Wings are looking towards having Henrik Zetterberg back at any point. They are playing with the team that they have on the ice, and that is what Mike Babcock preaches, and that is why he is so successful. The other day, he tied Jack Adams with his 413th career win as the Detroit Red Wings head coach, and that's impressive. You know, he he's tied with Jack Adams, lead Scotty Bowman, who, of course, we all know is one of the best coaches in NHL history. Uh, uh, honestly, in any sport, in my eyes, one of the best coaches. 
But, you know, you bring up this talk about the injuries, and the injuries, yes, they absolutely have been hurting the Red Wings all season. But, of course, they've gone through adversity, and they have gotten past that point. They got recently returned wings back. Justin Applicator, he's back out on the ice and looking good. You know, Darren Helm, who's massively stepping up. He got his first career hat trick the other day. Um, you know, we got Joachim Anderson, who's actually a healthy scratch right now alongside Todd Bertuzzi. Jonas Gustafsson is back between the pipes, and, you know, he's the monster. He's made a couple of clutch saves. Okay, he you know, has. He, he, they have been doing well. And with the return of Pavel Datsuk as well, and then Daniel Alfredson, who was day-to-day for a little bit, those are a lot of names right there that both increase scoring and also what the Red Wings are very good at, increase offensive defense. And that is one thing that they have gone off of the entire year, and now that they have those players back, it makes it even easier. It makes it even easier, but you look at Henrik Zetterberg, he still leads the team in points with 48. He's still not playing, obviously, with that injured, you know, hampered by that very bad back. He doesn't know whether he's going to come back or not. And I think it's a key thing when you analyze their playoff push. First, they got to get there, which I personally believe Detroit will get to the playoffs. I really do. Mm -hmm. But when it comes down to it, I think if Detroit's going to make a serious run in April and even in May, they need to get Henrik Zetterberg in this lineup somehow or some way, shape, or form. And if he does not play, you cannot replace 48 points. I understand that you know Gustav Nyquist has done 47 points, and what he has done, 28 goals later, I swear, what we've seen out of Nyquist is nothing but a breakout season. I think he is by far, I think, the best player in Detroit right now. I think Gustav Nyquist is the best player in Detroit. 28 goals you cannot replace. Going into the season, nobody thought that Gustav Nyquist would essentially lead the team in goals. Because what, how he's done that is pretty much outstanding. I mean, no one is even near him except Tom, Tomas Tatar. And he's another one that no one even relied on or no one even thought he would contribute. You know, all the talk about the Red Wings not doing anything or down year, fans jumping off a bridge, you Fairweather Wings fans. I know exactly where you are. But the thing is, you had Nyquist and you had Tomas Tatar. I think it's pretty interesting, this dynamic of this Wings team. Do you bring uh, you bring Zedward back if he's healthy? But what the Wings are doing right now with these guys, whatever they're doing, you know, Goody mentioned it with with um, uh, Mike Babcock and what he's done for this team. Look, you get these guys. I don't want to break it up. They're doing a great job. Absolutely, you know. And you, you mentioned Nyquist. I'll talk about him a little, for a second here. You know, you mentioned he has forty-seven points. That's one point fewer than the leader, which is Zedward and Cronwall tied up there. You know, yeah, you gotta give Cronwall love. Absolutely, but look at his games played: fifty-three games played, forty-eight points. That's pretty amazing. Point that's per that's game. that's wicked. I mean, that's that's wicked. That's top of the class. That's elite mm-hmm. status right there. Yeah, so, the, and twenty-eight goals also in 50, 53 games. But it, it's it's not a fair comparison if I compare it to Henrik Zetterberg: forty-five games played, forty-eight points. Well, it's true, but true. but that's, that's just, also your captain, one of the best players in the NHL, without a doubt. I'm just flat this, out. Okay, but all I'm saying is to, you know, making it clear for our listeners, if you get Zetterberg back, we can start talking about hoisting Lord Stanley. Right now, I think without Zetterberg, the Wings cannot get it done. I, I, I don't think they can get I don't it think, done. I don't think they'll no. win the Cup without no Zetterberg, way. but I, no I don't think that we should stop talking about where this team can go. And Oh, this team can go far. I think that they could definitely make it through the first round. I don't, I, I don't know. We'll have to see where Zeddy is at that point. But I think right now Nyquist is a guy who can step up and kind of fill that void for a first-round win, maybe a little more. I think we have to take a step back here, though, and you know, really check out the big picture here. You know, you're talking about hoisting Lord Stanley if Henrik Zetterberg comes back, and I 100% agree with that. But isn't that the goal with Detroit? Of course, it's always the goal. You always want to win a Stanley Cup. But right now, with the team that the Red Wings have this season, they're just trying to continue their playoff streak. They're trying to get into the playoffs. All right, but if Henrik Zetterberg comes back and Pavel Datsuk starts getting back into his old rhythm and Johan Franzen is the kind of dominator that he truly can be within the playoffs and obviously alongside the addition of Daniel Alfredson, which which is such a large help. I mean, Daniel Alfredson has 29 assists this season. That's good. Of course, we're talking about Nyquist and Tatar, but you guys also have to add in people like Riley Sheehan and Darren Helm, and then your penalty kill in Luke Glendening, who just signed a three-year contract. All of these guys are getting a lot just of these guys. Just ended his scoreless streak as well. Exactly. His first NHL goal alongside Miller and Applicator. They love taking pictures, getting the, the first goal puck, you know, that'll probably go into a shoebox somewhere eventually. But 
uh-huh. you know, it, it's big for him right now. That's a big confidence boost. And of course, you know, Thomas Yurko is getting more involved. That's really clutch for the Red Wings. You know, like I was saying, Justin Applicator getting back into the ice. Danny DeKaiser. You know, I'm listing names on names on names. You know, these are players that have struggled throughout most of the season, but right now, where it matters the most and where the Red Wings are trying to make a push, they look good. They look decent, but the point is... They look good. They look decent, and this is why I think they look decent. They, <laughs> the reason why I think they look decent is because this is Detroit. I think they look they look decent for where they are. I think Detroit would like to be way higher in the standing, if you, but you can't look back. They've dealt with injuries. What NHL team has not dealt with injuries? Mm-hmm. My point is, Jimmy Howard has looked atrocious. He has not looked good. He's been beleaguered by injuries. But, but in the last 10 games, how has Jimmy Howard looked? He's looked better, but the thing he's is... He's looked good. Yeah. Okay. He's been on the top... Play, he's been on the top save list for the past three weeks. The point is to me, I honestly think that Detroit has a better chance of going further in the play, and I cannot believe I'm saying this, but I think they have a further chance of going in the playoffs with Gustafson as your starting goaltender than Jimmy Howard. I've just been super unimpressed with Jimmy Howard. Gustafson has given you 16 wins, 5 losses, and Jimmy Howard has given you 20 wins, and 48 games started, which is Gustafson has given you 16 wins and 25 games started. The goals against average is right there, 268 Jimmy Howard, 263 or 262 Gustafson. It's been right Right there, the save percentage is microscopically close. Nine uh point nine uh, one zero. So point nine one save percentage versus point eight uh point nine eight zero. So it's or point eight nine nine. So you look at it, it's razor close. It's mm-hmm. razor close of point nine zero nine and point one zero of save percentage. So the two goaltenders for me is breaking down how far Detroit goes. I think to me, Detroit's playoff run is contingent on two things. Obviously, the health of Henrik Zetterberg, and more importantly, the goaltending situation. Now, with their playoff kill that you mentioned, Goodman, and I'm very curious to know, Lou, okay, we'll get Lou in this. Lou, okay, look, what do you think about my statements? Right I, I, I want to jump in on the goalie okay. thing. I want to be a little specific here because okay. I do agree with you that Gustafsson has been— He's been way know, better. He, he's, been, he's been good, but don't let's get your opinion here. Do you think Jimmy Howard, I mean, he's going to start game one of the playoffs? Sadly. So— that being said, how long, how short of a rope do you think he has? It should short be short. It should be very short because with Detroit, they do not have the same firepower as they used to right now. I understand it's getting better, but giving if you look at their stats, they are 17th in the NHL in goals per game. That's so un-Detroit-like. Their power play percentage is 13. That's good, but that's not Detroit. The thing is, when you look at it, I think he should be on a shorter leash. What do you think, Goodman, about this leash? Because I, I'd shorter say, leash. I'd say, you know— they get blown out game one. I still come back with them game two. Uh, yeah, Something absolutely. happens midway through game two. I'm yanking. You never want to pull a guy. But if he has an atrocious game one, you go back to him in game two. And if he has a crappy game two, listen, you got to go and swap it and give Gustafson will give you a better chance. To I, yeah, I, I give really a few chances. Yeah, I, I really think that you know you guys are you guys are going on to something, right? You, you know, you're on the right path talking about Gustafsson and how well he has played. He has I, played well. I'm giving him credit. Yeah, absolutely. And he's a good goaltender. He's the monster. That's what they call him. He's a good goalie. But Jimmy Howard has played exceptionally well coming down the stretch. He has won game single handedly okay. for the Red Wings coming down this stretch this season. And I, I'm, I'm telling you, that's what it is. I watch every single game, game in, game out, analyze it, watch it, talk about it. Guys, Jimmy Howard is the real deal, especially in the playoffs. He is a ride-or-die ride goalie for Mike Babcock, and he always has been. You see when Howard is healthy and when he's playing well, he gets the start. Yes, if he has three bad games in the playoffs, the Red Wings win one. You know He's letting up four goals in that game, but they magically got five. They're going to pull him come game four. You know what I mean? You lose those next two games, they're going to pull him and try to go for Gustafsson. But at the same time, Howard has experience in the playoffs, and he's a good playoff goaltender, and he gets them deep into the playoffs. And that's what keeps me on Team Howard is the fact that he has that experience. He is that veteran that Mike Babcock is willing to go to. What really scares me about Jimmy Howard, he hasn't really done a lot of noise in the playoffs. And he kind of scares me because he kind of reminds me of a – I know this is a pretty poor example. what? Not a lot of noise in the playoffs. What about last year, Chicago? That was a pretty, that was a pretty amazing se- yeah, that, series for him. Yeah, but that doesn't. This is this is the Red Wings could have won that game seven if the puck didn't guys, get tipped off of Nicholas Cronwall. It's a game it, of it's inches. A game of inches, exactly. 
But you, you know, have to give Jimmy Howard the benefit of the doubt. Dude, my point is this. Detroit is not about winning playoffs here. It's about winning the Stanley Cup. And if they don't win a Stanley Cup, it's a not, it's not a successful season. Jimmy Howard has yet to win a Stanley Cup in Detroit. I don't, I, I don't know. I, I get, I get kind of caught up with people. When you say it's not a successful season because you don't win a Stanley Cup. Yeah. No. The Red Wings weren't even shooting for a Stanley no. Cup, three, you know, two months ago. But it's Detroit. I understand it's Detroit, but this is the you new NHL. Lose. There's it, so much the, parity. They're not you, going in every year. Obviously, the coaching staff's going to tell the players, and everybody says, you know, we want a Stanley Cup. Yeah. I'm sure they do. But if you look at this year, if they make the playoffs, win a round, win two rounds, I, I mean, you they know have to be You know what's really bothering me about this whole playoff streak is now fans are just so obsessive that they just want to keep the streak alive. It's like Undertaker at WrestleMania. They just want to keep the streak alive. They don't even care about going far in the playoffs. That's not the goal of the playoffs. See, if you're Columbus, you're just trying to make it and be happy and can sell playoff tickets. With Detroit, it's not about just waving a towel and giving away free towels and stuff like that and all the playoff giveaway crap that they do. I think when it comes down to Detroit, it's about making noise, going deep in the playoffs, and expecting to win something. I think that's what matters to me. I think that's the most important thing, and you can't get carried away with that aspect. I think the most important thing to this season is the development. That's what it is. I mean, that's what they were shooting for. Lou and I, let me tell you, Lou and I have been talking about it for a long time this season, and the Red Wings did not have what it takes two months ago to be able to even be in the playoffs. They were in the 10th spot. They were not even a wild card spot, and now they are solidly holding on to a 7th seed wild card spot with Jimmy Howard playing well, injuries going in favor of the Red Wings. They only have Zetterberg, they only have Zetterberg and Erickson on the list, and they had 12 active players on the list beforehand, and that is an improvement right there. They have seven players that have developed into what could be the future of the Detroit Red Wings. Yeah, you know, I, you say it's always about winning a championship, and it is. It Which has it been is. A development. But the thing is, the thing with Detroit, and the reason it's Detroit, it's because it's a program. I mean, this I, now I sound like I'm talking about MSU or something, right? But but it's kind of what it is. They're building a franchise. It's a franchise, and you're not going to win every year. No. But you have to stay competitive every year, which they have been. Now they reached that goal. Now they try to get the next step. They didn't think it would be this year. They didn't think it was going to be last year. And, you know, I think last year getting to Chicago, holding them to seven games, cup winner, seven-game overtime, I think you kind of look kind of look at that as, you know, pretty positive. This year they're about to make the playoffs. Hopefully they'll win first round, which is very possible if they face Pittsburgh, a little bit less if they face Boston. But They're going to face Pittsburgh. I hope so. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you know, but if they get past that first round, you know, I think after well, that, it's it just from, gravy. Well, just, and then next take it year, you know, get some guys back, get some guys healthy, and keep building up. Exactly. What happens if Gustav Nyquist plays 78 games? How many goals does he get that? I, I don't know. But I'll tell you right now, the secret's out of Gustav, Nice, and you know, Gustav Nyquist. The secret's out with him. And Thomas Tatar as and well. Thomas Tatar, Those are two big threats alongside. And Gustafson, be- the secret's out with him too. He's been, he was terrible in Toronto. We watched him, you know, Lou and I were talking about Toronto off here. He was god-awful because I say nothing but bad things about Toronto's franchise. But the thing is, the secret's out with these guys. Nike was 28 goals, X amount of games. What is it, 53 he's played in? The mm-hmm. secret is out. These guys, teams are going to start planning for that speed and start planning for how good these guys and how dynamic they are. I just want to give you a little Closing bit of thoughts. A, an update on Henrik Zetterberg. Henrik Zetterberg, okay. was, he had an interview about a week and a half ago now, and he was telling the media how, he, how good he felt after surgery. And, of course, it's been a little bit what stiff. What did he say? He felt bad? No. <laughs> you know, the hernia that he had, the disc that we're touching in there, you know, they were, it was rough. It was rough for him. It was hard in, in Russia. He could barely move for five days. And he, you know, thanked Gustav Nyquist for helping him through that time. Right now, Henrik Zetterberg is ready to get back out on the ice. He says he's feeling good. You know, they were saying how he is supposed to get on back out on the ice sometime this week. This week right here. And then uh, on the ice isn't in game shape, though. And that's what I'm worried yeah. about. But that's what a full two weeks will do for you coming towards the first round of the playoffs. And th- he, he might not necessarily play in game one, game two, but game four, game five, that's where you might see a Henrik Zetterberg. You never know, guys. You never know with this Detroit team, these injuries, when they come back or not. Henrik Zetterberg coming back in the ice. I agree with Lou. The debate of the Red Wings is something else, but getting on the ice is not game shape. We know 60 minutes in the game, he usually plays around 21 minutes. You're going to get out of your captain. So it's going to be a toss-up to see what you expect out of Detroit in this playoff series. But guys, take a quick 
break. We're going to have Hayes here in studio, the host of Impact Is Zone. We'll bring him on, and we'll bring everyone on here on our panel about Michigan State basketball. It's going to be great, so come tune, come tune right back in here on The Pack. We'll be back quickly. Your host, Fino. You're listening to The Pact on 88.9 FM, WDBM, East Lansing. For some high school students, school can be a dangerous place. A lot of gamers look at you as a game member, too. For some, just being in school can be a struggle. I wouldn't go to school. I didn't care about what my mom said. My mom would tell me, like, what are you doing for yourself? You're not doing nothing. But despite all the obstacles, inside every high school student is a graduate. People look down on you if you don't have a diploma. I want to graduate because they say I won't. Go to BoostUp.org and find out how you can help a friend, a son, a daughter finish high school. BoostUp.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Army and the Ad Council. For more variety than you'll hear on any other station, listen to the Impact Primetime, Primetime, where you can find a different specialty show every night of the week. Tuesday nights from 8 until midnight, the Impact's progressive torch and twang brings you the best in alternative country and grassroots music. Only on Impact Primetime. You're listening to coverage of Spartan sports like never before as we embrace the Spartan debate here on The Pack. That is right, everyone. We're back here on the Pact. 517-432-3893 is your number. Your host, Fino, back here on the Pact. And, guys, we're giving away free lug nuts tickets, so feel free to call in. Today's winner will be put on the guest list along with the plus one to Thirsty Thursday at Cooley Law School Stadium. You can see the lug nuts as they take on the quad take on Quad City on Thursday, April 10th. That's this Thursday, courtesy of the Lansing Lugnuts. The game starts at 7.05 p.m. at Cooley Law School Stadium in Lansing, Michigan. More info at MILB.com. Impact, I'd like to thank the Lansing Lugnuts for their continued support. And remind listeners that they only may win once a week. So there you have it. So if you want to win free Lugnuts tickets, we're giving away four of them. So feel free to call John Yale's behind the glass. You know the number. 517-432-3893 or you can call us to debate on our next segment which is really Michigan State basketball analyzing their season going forward what to break down analyzing some Spartan draft stock so we got a lot of things to talk about here and we welcome the host of Impact His Own Andrew Hayes here on the show Hayes good to be with you how's it going Fino? not too bad of course we got Faith back here Faith Good to get you back from Greek Speaker. We can borrow you for a couple minutes. I'm glad to be back. Oh, it's good. And, of course, on the other side of me, we have our own Harry Jade. And, Harry, welcome aboard. Good to be here. Yeah, it's, yeah, just welcome aboard, everyone. So, basically, guys, it's a big panel here that I kind of personally want to discuss. Is this Michigan State basketball season? I think whether it was a successful season, you know that infamous streak that Tom Izzo had of each four-year player making a Final Four. That streak is snapped. They lose to... Maybe the eventual champion of this NCAA men's tournament, UConn. So there's a lot to analyze, but let's get quick hits from everyone here of what you thought about Michigan State season. I thought it was slightly disappointing. Uh, injuries withstanding, all that stuff. I thought the fact that we had two losses against Michigan, although we killed them in the Big Ten tournament game. Mm-hmm. Um, not winning the Big Ten title, but then winning the Big Ten championship. Was, the tourney was, title was nice. Was was nice, but it's also the Big Ten tourney. It doesn't it doesn't mean as much as the it doesn't is the regular season. And but then, some hardware though. Yeah, and in an Elite Eight isn't isn't bad by any standards. That's a success. regional final. Even, yeah, even even at Michigan State, that's a great season. But I just felt like the regular season was a bit too up and down for my standards, especially with the talent. I just don't think we're gonna have a team this talented for a while. Let me ask you this: just a quick hit, so. Regional final, you said it was you know a little bit disappointing, but would you view that as a, a, a successful season? If you told me that uh, that a regional MSU final was going to get to the lead eight in, at the beginning of the year, I would be a bit disappointed, but I would take it over getting upset in the in the earlier rounds for sure. An elite eight is a great run, but the whole streak, the streak of uh, every four year player, mm-hmm. people will say, well, why the, why is that a big deal? That's a great recruiting tool for Tommy Zoda to use, mm-hmm. saying you come here, you stay for four years. I'm going to get you to the Final Four, and now he can't use that anymore, and I think that's huge. That's a good point, but you know what? We're gonna, you know, we'll bring Hayes and we'll bring in Faith here. To me, I think it's super disappointing. If you say where Michigan State was in the beginning of the season after that win in Kentucky and Chicago, and you would have told me that we would only, or Michigan State would only get to a regional final, I would be thoroughly disappointed against a team that I thought was less talented in UConn, although they had the best player on the floor that day in Shabazz Napier. I. 
I, I mean, I said this at the beginning of the year. I think it was a Final Four, almost national championship victory. Mm-hmm. I or remember bust that. This year. I do remember that. And I still, I still stick with that because, for as you know, we talk about the injuries and we talk about all that this team battled through. But I'm including that in the disappointment. Even if Michigan State would have been out in the first round of the Sweet 16 or something like that, it's like I said, Final Four bust in my in my mind this year. And I lump, even taking into account the you know the injuries and and all the stuff that went on i i think that adds to the disappointment because it only makes you wonder even more okay what could have happened if this to, to this team if they have everybody for the whole year and then don't run i mean yukon that's just a buzzsaw but yeah 16 turnovers is not yukon is not all yukon's fault and you know so michigan state and they had games like that throughout the year the unc game is another one that you can think of and they just didn't come to play every game and here's my thing with michigan state i i i said although this was a little unfair to yukon i said that the best team on the floor that day lost and I said they lost because Hayes mentioned the 16 turnovers. Your senior, number 11, Keith Appling, gives you two points. He scored, And those two points were scored pretty late in the second half. So I thought you got no offensive play from Keith Appling, not only in that UConn game, but pretty much in the tournament. And I thought if you got effective play from Keith Appling, Faith, Michigan State would have been to Dallas, and maybe they would be dancing for a national title. In other news, they're not. They're home. Adrian Payne ended up being in the dunk contest which arguably you could argue that he should have won, but forget that. We all know Adrian Payne, a fourth-year player, would have rather been in Dallas than in, well, he was in Texas, but he wasn't in Dallas at SMU in a a dunk contest. Well, I mean, who wouldn't want to go further than they did? I mean, like they were saying a little bit, that the season was a little bit disappointing, but I think there were some small successes that they Mm -hmm. could have capitalized on. You know, um, Michigan State... They ended out with the best defensive field goal percentage of 39.7 in the Big Ten. I think there there are small wins like that that Michigan State had that they can try to capitalize for next year. There's nicky-nacky wins in there, but I think when it comes down to it, I think it was an overall disappointing season. I think it was super disappointing. I thought Michigan State should have went farther than they did. They didn't do it. All the spotlights, all the injuries, I'm done talking about the injuries because in reality, every team has injuries. In reality, you had your best player, or should have been one of your best players, Keith Appling, and he didn't perform when he needed to. Therefore, super disappointing, and his draft stock is like worse than Enron in 2002. (laughs) Yeah, and uh, Hayes touched on it, the fact that the lead eight was... uh was not successful because he thought it was a Final Four or bust year for MSU basketball. And I kind of disagree with that just because the way the NCAA tournament is, is I was Final Four or bust as well, but I'm not disappointed with an Elite Eight. Maybe slightly disappointed, but not Michigan State, mean, I mean, it could have been Syracuse or Duke for us. We could have taken an L in the first round. I think that's that's a lot worse. And this year was maybe slightly disappointing. I think the fact that we lost to a UConn team that was a seven-seed is disappointing to me because if you would have told me that we're playing UConn in the Elite Eight, I would say book me a trip to the Final Four. We're going. And but that was disappointing, especially the way the seniors played. You know, that's that's true. But in my mind, this Michigan State team, and I said this all throughout the season, in, in one game I'll take this Michigan State team against anybody. And I'm going to say that 99 out of 100 times Michigan State beats UConn, even with UConn and Shabazz Napier playing on a – astronomical level Mm. they just they won't lose right now and you saw it against Florida because I I mean even more so than I thought Michigan State was going to beat UConn I thought Florida was going to go to work on UConn just because of the way Florida's been playing I actually didn't see that because they had that 30 something game win streak the last team to beat him was a UConn team that's true in November so I knew if there's one team to beat Florida it would have been UConn and you could argue come back who has Florida played beside Kentucky a team that they really whipped around they beat three times in the season, once in the tournament, two in the regular season. The SEC, there's no talent there. Florida, one bad game, and they're out. And you saw with UConn, DeAndre Daniels played incredible. He was unstoppable on the glass. And you looked at him, you know, Boatwright played great on the swing. And I loved what I saw Shabazz Napier. He is NBA ready, if I've ever seen it, Faith. No, I agree. But there are some things that Michigan State, I wish they would have gone further, but there are some things like turnovers that I think really did end up killing them in the end. The whole season. No, it was the whole season. I mean, they ended up with 11.6 turnovers a game. That was the average. And Michigan State committed 16 turnovers that led to 18 points for UConn. And my whole thing here is that if you focus on the end games for Michigan State, those big games like Ohio State, 
um, Nebraska, Illinois, those games, they each had 16 turnovers. And I think, you know, just shows there that that is what killed them in the end. I think when it comes down to it, guys, the turnovers in certain games at Michigan State squeaked by. They had a ton of turnovers in Minnesota. They squeaked by. They had a ton of turnovers uh, against – what team was it? They had a lot of turnovers against – Wisconsin, or not Wisconsin, it was Northwestern at Northwestern, a team that it was scary. It was a midweek Tuesday game. Yeah. Very scary in between. They get through that game. In the NCAA tournament, te- good teams will punish you. The turnovers caught up with Michigan State. And the only way they could have outplayed those turnovers was getting effective play from their key players. I've already said who those players are, and they didn't get it, Harry. They didn't exactly. get it. Exactly. And Hay said that he would take this MSU team on any given day just to beat that team I on would. that day. I wouldn't, though, because they were so up and down, and I think that falls upon the seniors getting guys motivated. Like he said, they didn't come to play some days. On paper, it was a great team, but I'm going to question the leadership of Appling. I know he played very well in the stretch when uh, Payne was out, when Dawson was out. But when it came time to make his legacy at Michigan State, he didn't He didn't show up. What and legacy? He, I, I, got sh- he got showed up by Shabazz Napier. I think when you look at it right now, Keith Appling's legacy at Michigan State, just he left a lot to be desired. He could have been a hero. He wasn't. And you know what? You said he played super effective. I don't think he played that effective. I think he just played okay. And for the level of his progression as a senior, it wasn't that good. I thought he played phenomenal. He was leading the Big Ten in three-point percentage at one time. It was all before the, the, the wrist injury. I think that was a lot more serious or at least more mental oh, yeah. than he was letting on. He, I think he had a little – he was trying to be a tough guy, and it just came back and bit him in the butt. You know, I, I like what you said about the wrist injury because before he got that – before he had that wrist injury, I thought he was – I thought – you know, was I was starting to say how far up the draft board can he go – not just for what he did on the offensive side, because you know he has Izzo has said in the past that this is one of the fastest guards that he's ever coached, if not the fastest guard. I don't remember exactly that quote, but when Keith Appling came back, there was no there was no desire to go to the hole like he has his entire career. He was like and scared, that's, and that's not a physical. That wasn't a physical thing, I don't think, because I legitimately believe his wrist was fine from the moment that he stepped back on the court. It's all been in his head, and you could see that with the way. The dude didn't dribble with his right hand for most of the time after he got back. It was all left-handed dribbles. He wouldn't go to the hoop, and if he did, he wasn't going flailing around, landing like he used to because he's worried about re-aggravating that injury. Well, and I and I agree with that completely. I mean, he heard it in North Carolina, and he kind of came back, fought back after that injury. And then when he re-injured that in Indiana, and that's when the mental, just the mental attitude of his injury set in. And it was not more of a physical thing. It was more, he became very more timid on offense. He would get an open shot. He wouldn't take it. I, I agree. Very timid play from Keith Appling. But more importantly, I thought, you know, guys are going to play hurt. I think when it came down to it, I think he was playing injured. And I, I almost believe that he re-injured his wrist playing hurt because that team needed Keith Appling. He was the only one healthy, and they needed him, and he wasn't there. But he was playing hurt, so there's a lot to ask out of this guy. Yeah, and we're talking a lot about the players, but I want to—I actually want to heap some blame on Tom Izzo a little bit. I Ooh. talked about it in the last pact about how— for some reason, he would have Trice or Appling guarding Napier. When Why not change it up when Napier's balling out on all your guys? Why not change it up and throw Gary Harris, an elite-level, an NBA-level defender on him? And I know earlier in the season, I remember sure Gary was on when, boat right, though. when, uh, when uh, oh, yeah. Michigan was playing Michigan State and Stauskas was going off. For some reason, Gary Harris wasn't guarding Stauskas at that point. And I just felt like there were some decisions that, that Izzo made that were slightly questionable. I know he's a phenomenal coach. I'm not questioning his uh, resume, but I felt like... He let his players down a little bit this year. 517-432-3893 is our number. Call in to talk Michigan State basketball. We're waiting to hear on break. Blake Froling. He is the co-host of Impact His Own. He will also be joining us here on the pack. Or call in and win free lug nuts tickets. We're giving them away. So please feel free to call in. All right. Here's after the sales pitch now. this Okay. Here's my thing about what Napier and Stauskas was were doing. Nobody on the planet can guard those guys when they get in those zones. That's my opinion. And it, I, I said after the first half of the Michigan game, watching Gary Harris play defense on Nick Stauskas, I could have watched that all day long. I just watched Gary Harris for chunks of that game because of the, uh, because of the relentless, mm-hmm. suffocating defense that he put. But the fact of the matter is, when you have guys that are playing at that level, it doesn't matter who you put on them. Because Napier's hitting that, died for the rest of my life. I'll remember the three pointer that Napier hit when Michigan State was up nine in that 
in that Elite Eight game mm-hmm. because that was a contested three ball, top of the key, hand in his face, and he drained it like it was nothing, and that changed that whole game. That was, I mean, that was ball game in my mind. Guy, here's an interesting stat for you for UConn, what UConn has done. UConn has won, okay, I think three national titles. I th- I'm pretty sure all of them have been won in Texas. They won one in San Antonio, and the other one they won in Houston. So now they have an opportunity to win on one in Dallas. I like UConn to win this game, and what they did to Michigan State just really shows that if you turn the ball over and really make plays, hey, they can win the game, and they did. I agree, and I think it all comes down to the defense that both both Boatwright and Napier are playing. They're they're extending the perimeter out to the NBA line. They are they were oh they were balling and trice. They're, they were guarding him man to man press white press on all rights. the way and and Applin couldn't beat him. And the same thing happened. You heard a lot about Florida's defense, but it was it was uh, UConn's defense that came to play that game, and that's why they won that game. I feel like their guard play is just winning them games right now. No doubt about it. And now we welcome to the pack the co-host Andrew host uh, Andrew Hayes co-host of the pack. Uh, or impact isn't. We have Blake Froling. Blake, what is going on, pal? Hey, Fino. Thanks for having me on. Oh, Blake, it's always a pleasure to have you on the pack. Blake Froling, listeners, he is the co-host of Impact Is Own, so it's always good to pick his brain a little bit about this NCAA tournament, Michigan State basketball. But Blake, what a disaster for Michigan State in this tournament. I just want to know what your thoughts were. Well, I I heard you guys talking earlier about the season being a disappointment, and I don't think it necessarily was just because of uh, all the tournaments that they went through, or the injuries, I should say, that they went through. Mm. And even though they were fully healthy uh, going into the tournament and expectations might have been risen just a little bit higher, I would say that still an Elite Eight is pretty good because you had basically a non-existent starting point guard in Keith Appling, scored 10 points in the whole tournament, and with and getting to the Elite Eight with that and, you know, kind of building up the chemistry uh, with the team after the injuries, I think that's pretty impressive. And we lost to an extremely hot UConn team, who I think is personally going to win the national championship. We're talking with Blake Froling, co-host of Impact Is Own here on WDBM. And, Blake, I think it's pretty interesting when you analyzed it, you know, a UConn team, you like to win the national championship. But what? let's switch gears a little bit. What do you think about this streak, Is Own, or Izzo, rather? Every four-year player, every senior on this Michigan State basketball team has made a Final Four. Harry kind of alluded to this before. He doesn't have that recruiting pitch in his back pocket. Do you think that will affect the recruiting front for Tom Izzo? Uh, no, I don't think so. I mean, don't get me wrong, it's just an absolutely incredible streak that shows just how much of a powerhouse Michigan State basketball is. But when you hear the name Tom Izzo with Michigan State, that's basically all the recruiting you're going to need. And if you can't get a guy based on that and what this program's done in the past and what it's what it's doing right now, then you're just not going to be able to get him. I, I don't think the recruiting is going to be hurt at all right now. Yeah, and Blake, I, I I agree with you because Izzo typically hasn't done it with phenomenal recruits. I know he gets probably a great recruit once every two, three years like Adrian Payne or a Gary Harris, but he's not doing it with five stars or blue chips like uh, like Duke or North Carolina is. But I'm also getting a little bit nervous because those guys in Ann Arbor are getting better and better and more consistent. They have, they have recruiting tools like saying Nick Stauskas was Big Ten Player of the Year. Trey Burke was Big Ten Player of the Year, so come here. And so those guys that usually would come to us from Flint or Detroit, they're probably thinking a little bit more about Ann Arbor. Yeah, thinking more and more about Ann Arbor rather than East Lansing because of the guys they're putting out lately. I think it's pretty, you know, I think it's pretty interesting, Blake, that, you know, Harry does make a point. But you know what? What do you think about Michigan State going forward next year? I personally don't even think they're the best team in the Big Ten. I think Michigan is going to be a better team than Michigan State going forward. How do you feel about that? And do you think Michigan State should be favored to win the Big Ten next year? Uh, I do not think they're sh- they should be favored to win the Big Ten uh, next year. They're definitely going to have a drop-off in talent with Harris 99.9% going to the NBA right now, and then also losing uh, Payne and Appling. Um, I-, I just don't think they're going to have enough talent to do it. I know Valentine has made tremendous leaps and bounds in his talent this year. Uh, Dawson, we're most likely going to hit him back, and his performance will most likely step up. And even with Trice, he got to play a lot this year, too. So he'll play a main factor in the team next year. But I just don't think there's enough to compete with 
the Big Ten and how grueling it is. And you can just see how much, how drastically a team can change in one year. If you just look at Indiana, how much talent they had last year, and then once they lost uh, their two main guys, Oladipo and Zeller, they just went straight down the tubes. So I don't think that's going to exactly happen for Michigan State, but I don't, I don't think they're going to be in contention for the title. We're talking with Blake Froling, co-host of Impact His Own here on WDBM. So, Blake, you okay? You said that you don't think Michigan State should be favored. Now, going forward, how do you break down this 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 tournament really with Michigan State? You know, Keith Appling with a very disappointing you know performance in my opinion. And I said it; I thought Dawson would be the X factor. Dawson had a ton of great games. Payne had that outstanding first round game. But for me, I thought Keith Appling played absolutely atrocious. I honestly thought his senior legacy or his legacy at Michigan State would be tarnished and permanently damaged by the way he played in this tournament. Do you think that's too harsh? I, I, I think you're exactly spot on right there, Fino. His, his legacy here, well, coming into the beginning of the season, I think he still had a lot to prove, had a chip on his shoulder, and you could see how, how good he can be, how high his ceiling is in the first 10 games of the season, or at least before the UConn, or the uh, North Carolina game, uh, he was averaging more than 16 points a game and shooting over 55% uh, from the field. And then after that wrist injury, you just never got the same Keith Appling, and just his, his just horrible performance in, in the tournament will definitely hurt him, only scoring 10 points total. And that just shows you how... It makes you wonder just how far this team could have gone if Appling could have even put in maybe like six or seven points a game, make some kind of offensive contribution, because we basically played with, with four guys on the court on offense and still made it to the Elite Eight. Well, Blake, before we let you go here, I know you kind of alluded to before on a question, but Kentucky, UConn, 9-10 tip-off here in Dallas, who do you got winning the game? I have UConn winning. I mean, just, just looking at... How they how they handled Florida? I thought there was a chance that Florida could blow them out, just because of how impressive they looked off uh, season so and Hayes. how scary Patrick Young is. But mm-hmm. UConn is just rolling, and they're mm-hmm. they're the hottest team. Yeah, I mean, obviously, even more than uh, Kentucky right now. But I mean, they've got so much experience too. Kentucky has a lot of freshmen. I've been doubting them all year. Maybe uh, a little bit wrong uh, on that one, seeing as they've made it so far. Mm-hmm. But still, I I think. Connecticut's going to make it. They have the best player right now, Shabazz Napier. I think he's a man on a mission, and nobody's going to be able to stop him. There's no doubt Shabazz Napier has been the truth in this NCAA tournament. His draft stock is probably soaring somewhere else. Well, Blake, always good to have you on the show. Thanks for coming on. Guys, when we come back, we'll break down the NBA playoff picture, which conference has a difficult road to the NBA Finals. Is it the West? Is it the East? All coming up here on The Pact. You're listening to The Pact on 88.9 FM, WDBM, East Lansing. Smoking Helpline. Yes, I need to start smoking right away. Excuse me? I need to start smoking. Well, actually, it's the Stop Smoking Helpline. The people in the apartment next to mine smoke three packs a day, and it drives me crazy. So I'm thinking four packs will do it. I think you want MySmokeFreeApartment.org. It gives you the information you need to work toward a smoke-free apartment building. A smoke-free building? Without all that smoking? Uh, yeah, that's right. Make your apartment smoke-free without making a stink. MySmokeFreeApartment.org. For more variety than you'll hear on any other station, listen to the Impact Primetime, Primetime, where you can find a different specialty show every night of the week. Wednesday nights from 8 until midnight, it's the Impact's Accidental Blues, your source for great blues music, news, and concert information. Only on Impact Primetime. Hola, my name is Esperanza. After a tragic incident, I was forced from a life of riches in Mexico to a life of poverty in the United States. My mother has become ill and we have become separated from our family. Now I must work for both of us to try to bring the rest of our family together. My name is Esperanza and I am trying to survive. Explore new worlds. Read my story in the novel Esperanza Rising by Pam Muñoz Ryan. For other great book ideas, visit your local library or log on to literacy.gov. Brought to you by the Library of Congress and the Ad Council. And now back to the pact here on 88.9 FM. That is right, everyone. We're back on the pack. Your host, Fino, alongside here every Mondays from 7 p.m. to 8 p.m. here on 88.9 FM WDBME Slanting. Guys, 
We are giving away we are giving away some lug nuts tickets, so feel free to call in. John Yales is behind the glass. 517-432-3893. Today's winner will be put on the guest list along with a plus one to Thursday Thursday at uh, Cooley Law School Stadium. You can see the lug nuts as they take on Quad Cities on Thursday, April 10th. Courtesy of the Lansing Lugnuts. The game starts at 7.05 p.m. at Cooley Law School Stadium in Lansing, Michigan. More info at MILB.com. The Impact would like to thank the Lansing Lugnuts for their continued support and remind listeners they may only win once a week. So there you have it, guys. Giving away some tickets here for the Lansing Lugnuts for Thursday's battle against Quad Cities. So feel free to call in. You know the number, 517-432-3893. John Yales will be on the behind the glass fielding those calls. We bring back Lou. We bring back Austin. And, guys, NBA playoff picture I think is pretty interesting. I saw some good playoff basketball. Not playoff basketball. Maybe a potential matchup that Miami game yesterday against the Knicks. J.R. Smith's three-point barrage. LeBron James stops it. But the point is, the East, wow, my draft stock in the East, I thought the Eastern Conference would be a tougher road than the Western Conference. But the Pacers are making me look so terrible. The Pacers have been absolutely just, I can't even fathom what I want to say on air because I can't, what the Pacers have been. They're 50, they have 53 wins. And you know what? I think that's egregious because at one point they were running away with the number one seed in the East. And Miami has caught them. Miami leads them, I think, by a game or a game and a half. It's one of those two spreads. And you know what? The Pacers have been terrible. They were down by 30 in their last game to the Wiz at halftime. I don't know what's happening to the Pacers, but it's making my prediction, Lou, look pretty piss poor when you look at it because the Western Conference looks like they're a lot better than the East. Absolutely. You know, I think the Western Conference, they just have more quality teams, I think, than than the East. I I don't think there's any question about that. There's no doubt. The quality in the West is pretty good, but, you know, I'm still going to make the argument for the East. I think the East is is a harder road to the conference finals because the only reason why I say that is because they have to go through Miami. And I think Miami is the best team in the NBA. I completely disagree with you, Fina. Mm-hmm. You look at the standings of the Eastern and Western Conferences. Phoenix is the eighth seed in the Western Conference right now. If they were the Eastern Conference, they would be the three seed. Yeah, but So I- in the Western Conference, you're playing teams that could beat you in the first round rather than cakewalks like Atlanta or Charlotte, which have losing records. So I think Western Conference by far... With teams like San Antonio, which is always, always ready to play come playoff time, and Oklahoma City, who has also been great. And it's just top to bottom, just a better conference, in my opinion. I agree completely with Harry. I mean, I think the West definitely has more competitive teams. It's definitely a tougher road. But the East is more top-heavy, so they've got the better top teams and you know, the bottom half are not so good. And in the East, though, the 7th and 8th seeds don't even need to be 500 to make the playoffs. So I think that says a lot. There's no doubt about it. But look, I, I get it. The, the West has some better teams. But Faith mentioned that the that the East is more top-heavy. You can't even argue that right I, now. I completely disagree. San Antonio is 60 and 17. Those guys are not going anywhere anytime soon. You saw it last year. They got to the finals. But they I think Miami could beat Miami. all those teams. I don't know about Miami this year. I am Team LeBron all the way, Team Heat. But the way that LeBron's been playing, he hasn't been in his MVP, MVP form. And also that. Dwayne Wade has been in and out of the lineup. Chris Bosh has really stepped up. But San Antonio, with guys like Kawhi Leonard playing great, great offense and defense, he's known as the LeBron stopper. You have Oklahoma City, which is always a threat, has a better record than Miami. So those are two teams at the top that I think are the two best teams in the league right now. You know, you mentioned that LeBron James is not an MVP form. I'm going to read you his numbers for the season. If this is not MVP form, I don't know what is. He's averaging 20 at 26.8 points a game. In rebounds, he's averaging 6.9 rebounds a game. In assists, he's averaging 6.5 rebounds a game. If that's not all around an MVP performance, I don't know what is. And then LeBron will win the MVP again. And without a doubt, I mean, why? Well, I completely. I mean, a lot has been made on ESPN about Kevin Durant breaking a Michael Jordan scoring record of uh, thirty nine. Yeah, he's just games a scorer, though. Twenty nine. But the way that Durant carried the Thunder when Westbrook was out was was otherworldly. I mean, you see that day in and day out. And you look at you mentioned LeBron's numbers. Each and every one of those numbers is down since last year, and that's with. Uh, Dwayne Wade out uh, a good amount of this season. So James is getting more touches with the ball. He's not playing with Wade, so you'd think his production would go up. Because but you can argue that about Durant. Slip. Durant had more touches when Westbrook was out. And his his stats went up, whereas LeBron's went down. Well, look, the thing about it is, but if you look at how many assists he averaged per game, okay, he averages 5.6 assists a game. LeBron averages more. But in rebounds, it's down. So I get that, fine. 
minutes per game, 30. But I don't want to make this an MVP discussion. Mm. I get it. I get that where Kevin Durant is. But I, I, I don't know. I think that the, the championship is going to go through Miami. I think Miami ultimately will win this thing, Faith. No, like I said, I mean, I agree with Harry on this one. I think East is definitely going to be a tougher road, but... West, right? West, that's yeah, what yeah. I mean. You know what yeah. I'm saying? <laughs> I, I actually do agree. I think that Miami's going to win the championship. I think LeBron's going to pull, finally prove all the haters wrong for once and for all and beat either a Spurs team or an OKC team that's going to be great. But I think that OKC and the Spurs are a better team than the Heat. I just think the Heat are going to get it in the end. I think that the Spurs and the OKC... Thunder. I think that's going to be a massive game in that Western Conference, and it's going to be the Western Conference Finals, and it's going to be one of the best series that you're going to see out of the NBA this season. I have the Spurs coming out of that series and going again to the NBA Championship, but I think that it's the year for the San Antonio Spurs to win the NBA Championship, guys. I really think that it's their year. They were tra- they tragically lost last year, and I think they're going to come back this season. They have a great record, 16-17. That's incredible. They're on a hot streak. They're nine and one in their last ten. That's great. You know, I really think that the Spurs are playing well and they're playing for a championship. There's no doubt about it. But you know, you said it might be the Spurs year. Well, guess what? Apparently, it's John Kelly's year. So shout out to John Kelly for winning a pair of lug nut tickets. So guys, we have one more pair to give away. You know the number five one seven four three two three nine three is our number. So if you want a pair of Lansing lug nut tickets, we're giving those away for Thirsty Thursday. April 10th against Quad City. So John and Yale's behind the glass, as always. He'll be fielding those calls before we get off the air in a couple minutes. But, okay, so you mentioned how maybe the Spurs year, but the West, I get the West is a better conference. I'm not arguing that. What I'm arguing is I still think playing Miami in seven games is more difficult than any one of those teams in seven games. And I really believe that. And, you know, you mentioned how bunched up the West is. There's some sleeper, there's some sleeper teams if you look in the Eastern Conference. Chicago in a series could be dangerous. Brooklyn in a series could be dangerous. What Washington is doing is pretty nifty. I and like Brooklyn. I think they're a great team. Brooklyn has great... the highest winning percentage of the 2014 cal- calendar year in Sin- the NBA. So they're I, playing phenomenal ball. There's no doubt. And you know what? Harry mentioned that since January 1st, the Brooklyn Nets' win percentage has been 74%. Mm-hmm. So just break that down. It's the highest in the NBA. Yeah. So the, you don't want to face the Nets. Jason Kidd getting settled in. We were talking about how bad of a coach Jason Kidd was. Uh, I think those talks have ceased. Jason mm-hmm. Kidd has settled in. He hasn't been a head coach ever. He settles in with an NBA team, and when you're a Hall of Famer, it kind of helps. So given that being said, look, I think there's a lot of dynamic to break down of the East. So just a thought there, Goodman. I mean, I, I, I agree with what you're saying. I think that Brooklyn is a good team, but I still am going to hold to my Spurs team. I think that the Spurs are going to win the NBA championship this year, and that's what it is. I also think that the Western Conference is a harder road to the NBA championship. It is. There are a lot more teams. There's a lot. There's a lot more talent in the Western Conference this year. I am, you know, I do like the Miami Heat, and I think they're good. But you know, like Harry was saying, they're going to win a championship. I don't agree with that. But Harry, yeah, I. I, I just got a gut feeling. I'm going with my gut there. You I go think with San Antonio is a better team. They got the, the big three that okay. they've always had. They're a better team. But, but here's my – okay, I'll let you finish. But I think that San Antonio might not even make it to the the finals because Oklahoma City is 3-0 against them this year. They have great matchups. Yeah, I don't think they them. get there. I think it's Oklahoma City. Time. With guys like Westbrook who – San Antonio just quite simply doesn't have an answer for it. Durant, Kawhi Leonard might be able to shut him down. Ibaka down low is dominant athletic. So I think it's going to be OKC Heat Finals. So that's, I a, that's a good final, a good guys. Play. But hey, one more, ter- one more pair of tickets to give away. So feel free to call in before we step off the air. 517-432-3893 is our number. Hey, Andrew Hayes said it, guys. Don't sleep on the Bulls. You might have to watch out for them too in the East. Special thanks to Blake Froling, the co-host of Impact Zone, for calling in. Special thanks to Andrew Hayes for coming in studio. We have the whole Impact His Own crew for Harry, Austin, Faith, and Lou. Special shout-out to John Kelly for winning those Lug Nuts tickets. As your host, Fino, you can catch me every Monday from 7 to 8 here on The Pack. Your number, as always, 517-422-3893. Call in and get those tickets while we still have them. Guys, signing off on The Pack. We'll be back every Monday breaking down some Wings hockey. See you guys.